Amen. Amen. John chapter 9, verse 7. This is our fourth study in our series entitled TOPS. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, TOPS is an acronym for Trust, Obey, Purify, and see. And up until this point, we've taken the last three weeks to really look at this passage in depthly. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, in particular, verse 7. And today will be our fourth and final week in this series as we look at the man that was born blind from birth and how Jesus asked him to do some pretty incredible things, something pretty incredible. I mean, people looked at this man who was born blind at birth, and they thought, man, this man must have sinned hard, or his parents must have sinned terribly that he was in this type of situation. However, we know that that wasn't the case. Even as we looked at how setbacks and impediments and handicaps and failures can and will be used... For the works of God to be revealed. In John 9 verse 7 it says, And Jesus said to this man born born blind from birth, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Trust. We deduced from this passage that this man must have first trusted Jesus enough to obey him. Even if it was just a little bit. He listened and did what Jesus asked him to do. If you don't trust somebody, you're not going to do what they tell you to do. And the same applies for our relationship with God. And in our first study, we looked at three things that help our faith or trust in the Lord, which were know God's character, bank on His promises, and wait for His results. The second thing, obey From our second study, we saw how trust is directly connected to our obedience. And if I trust God to have my best in mind at all times, that even when I don't understand why He's asking me to do something, I will still do it. I mean, talk about having a blind faith literally in our passage this morning. The man that cannot see is asked by Jesus to go and do something that is just incredible. He trusted Jesus enough to obey Him. And in Hebrews 11.1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now this man who was blind couldn't see exactly what was happening, but he knew that he trusted Jesus enough to obey Him. And the hope of what would come from that obedience. And in our second study, we looked at three things that help with our obedience to the Lord, which were, number one, crucify the flesh. Number two, know the power that you have through the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, resist the devil, a.k.a. put up your dukes. Say, no, I don't work for that boss anymore, so I don't have to listen to him anymore. And so our trust leads to our obedience to him. And when we're living lives of obedience, the natural byproduct is what? Purity. If I'm trusting the Lord enough to obey Him, then if I'm obeying Him, that means I'm not disobeying Him. And since I'm obeying Him, I'm living a life that's pure before the Lord. And in our third study, Purify, we saw how this man's blind trust led to his obedience, which led to his purification. And in 1 Peter 1, 22, it says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. And we looked at three things again as well from our last study last week. Be consecrated, be pleasing unto the Lord, and be renewed. And so if you missed those studies, you can get them on the archive on the app or the website. But today, 
I'm really excited for this particular study because this is the culmination of all the things that we've been observing as we look at our fourth and final letter in our acronym TOPS, which is the letter S standing for C. S-E-E. John 9, 7. Jesus said, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went, he washed, and he came back seeing. Trust is inferred. He listened to Jesus. Trust led to obedience. Obedience led to his purification. His purity led to him seeing Jesus. And so, we're going to look at three things that are going to help in our sight. They're going to help in us not only seeing Jesus in our personal lives, but that other people would see Jesus in us. Because it should be our prayer if it's not that we as Christians should live our lives in such a way as Jesus said. Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. Meaning that the way that they see you, they'd be like, what is different about that guy? Man, that girl, I don't know what she has, but I want whatever it is. There's something different, this joy, this peace, this, you know, the language coming out, the the way that, that he lives. I want that. What is that? Well, this morning, the first thing that we need to look at And you know that every single study in this series has the same letters for point one, two, and three. It's CPR. Remember, we said cardiopulmonary resuscitation. How do I resuscitate? How do I get stronger? How do I come back to life if I'm struggling in trust or in obedience or in purity? And then how about in seeing? Well, number one, you need to see yourself as God's child. This is the point number one this morning. You need to see yourself as God's child. Now, this is such an important part of our relationship with God. And there's only one prerequisite to being a child of God. And that is having a personal relationship with Jesus. You need to see yourself as God's child. In John 1, verses 12 through 13, it says, John writing, it says, But as many as received Jesus, to to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were not or who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Literally, what happens when you put your belief in God is that you are born spiritually into the family of God, even as you were born. And I'm assuming most of you were here today into your family. You know, and I'm sorry, but as they say, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your relatives. You're stuck. That's your family. That's who you're with the rest of your life. And as you were born into your family, you know, you might even think as, you know, Nicodemus thought when Jesus told him, you must be born again. And be like, I'm old. How can I be born again? Well, he's talking about a spiritual birth. Those that have belief in God through faith in Jesus, they have a spiritual birth and you are born alive and new into the family of God. This is huge because even as you're born into your family, you are born spiritually dead in sins. As it's just natural to do that which is wrong. Some people will say, well, you're born naturally good. No, actually you're born naturally bad. You do not need to be taught to do one single evil thing. You do it well and you don't need practice you know ever since you were young and you took something that wasn't yours or hit somebody because they took something that was yours you know or whatever it might be it's a sinful nature so we need to see ourselves as not who we were before Christ but who we are now in Christ 
if I've put my faith in Jesus, then I'm a new creation. As it says in 1 Corinthians 6.11, it says, as after he lists the, 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 the characteristics of, of living a life of sin, he says, but such were some of you. You did all these evil things, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The things that we're guilty of, the things that we felt condemnation over and regret, and the baggage that we've carried with us for so long can be done away with through faith in Jesus, where we're made, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All too often, our past will get thrown up in our faces. And then we have to go all the way back to our faith in Jesus, our obedience to Him, and our purity because of Him. We are part of God's family, and we are no longer outcasts. We are no longer dead in sin. We're alive. He says, to those who believed in His name, those who believed in Jesus, He gave them the right to become the children of God. So that's why we need as Christians to see ourselves as God's child. We're no longer outside. We are brought in. And in Ephesians 2.19, Paul writes and says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So seeing yourself as a child of God is important. Why? Well, Mark 10, verse 14. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Seeing yourself as a child of God means understanding that God always has time for you. Always. He has time for you always. You know, we might not have time for strangers or for even people that might be somewhat friends or acquaintances, but we will always have time for our family. God never gets His priorities out of whack like we do at times. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, Therefore, let us come boldly to God's throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in time of need. That's my Father's throne. And I have access 24-7 because of my faith in Jesus. And, uh, and because of this fact that I am a child of God, we all have the open door policy. The open door policy. To come to our Heavenly Father through Jesus and see Him work. I mean, I know for me and, and, and my family and my son and my daughter... I may be busy and doing other stuff, but if my son or my daughter wants to see daddy, you better believe they're going to see daddy. Somebody says, sorry, you can't see your dad. Hey, you're fired. You, you can come in. That's, those are my kids. When we see ourselves as God's children, it, it, it changes our perspective because I'm not an enemy of God. I'm not outcast from the family of God. I am in the family. I am in the family. I'm a part of what's happening in the family of God. And I have that open door to come to the Lord at any time. I have that relationship. You know, I don't have to go to somebody else in order to get to God. I don't have to have somebody translate something from a different language in order for me to understand what God says. We have one mediator and it's the man, Jesus Christ. The Son of God who gave Himself for us. 
So I have that access. I don't have to earn my way to get presence, you know, get in the presence of God. I don't have to do certain things in order to get some face time with the Lord. I know Hudson has been saying, you know, I, I know FaceTime is really cool because we FaceTime Ruth's family in England all the time. It's like, what if we did like a, a, like a full body time? And what he was saying is like, like they have in Star Wars, right? You know, like the boom, pop. You know, I don't, he's, I'm like, what's well, a great idea. Maybe you should invent that one day. That'd be pretty cool. But we don't have to earn FaceTime before the Lord. We don't have to be good enough to enter into the presence of the Lord because we have faith in Jesus. If we tried to earn our way, if we tried to buy time with the CEO and do something crazy and, wow, you know, you did this great exploit, so that gives you, you know, your first, you know, time with, you know, with the Lord, we would be waiting for eternity. We see ourselves as God's children because Satan would love for us to be blinded to the fact that we are children of God because of our faith and what Jesus has done for us. So often we forget that we are to have that intimacy with our Heavenly Father. We think of God sometimes as somebody who's the great disciplinarian or somebody that's just waiting to strike us down. But He's not. He wants to see us succeed. He wants to see us do well. And most importantly, He wants us to experience the joys that He has created for us through a right relationship with Him. So, we need to see ourselves as God's child. Point number one. Point number two. We need to know God has a purpose. A purpose. So first, child. You are the child of the Lord because of your faith in Jesus. Secondly, we need to know that God has a perfect purpose. And all too often, we'll be blinded to God's presence by our problems. Our problems. Now, I was a, a bio major in, in college, and I loved chemistry. Uh, mixing chemicals, you know, the whole mad scientists, the sons of thunder, bang, you know, blowing stuff up. I remember in my one science class, uh, we did something, and it blew up the ceiling. The ceiling caught on fire and started falling down. I loved that kind of stuff. Uh, as long as I didn't, you know, get injured, obviously, want to be safe with that kind of thing, but... Here's a little science for you. Our sun is so big that we can fit 1,300,000 of our Earths inside of it. But the sun is very small compared to Antares, which is a star in our galaxy, where 64 of our suns can fit inside of it. Antares is minuscule compared to Hercules, in which 110 million Antares, which fit 64 of our suns, which fit 1,300,000 of our Earths, can fit inside. Now, this might be somewhat old news, but the Sombrero Galaxy, which is 28 million light years from Earth, uh, was one of those uh, galaxies where it was voted one of the best pictures by the, by the Hubble telescope. And the dimensions of the galaxy, officially called M104, are as spectacular as its appearance because it has 800 billion suns in the galaxy. I mean, it's so huge. <laughs> you know how tiny that makes us, like you and me? Very, very small. And on the subject of tiny in size, now we all know that water, H2O, has two hydrogens and one oxygen. Now, if you can enlarge each atom in that molecule to the size of a grain of sand, listen to this, you would have enough sand to make a slab of concrete one foot thick and one half mile high stretching from San Francisco to New York. Talk about compressed talk about tiny 
In Colossians 1, verses 16 through 17, it says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Which I find very interesting that this was written before there was ever a Hubble telescope or any microscopes that are at the atomic level. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And then this is so amazing. And it says, he is before all things, speaking of Jesus, and in Jesus all things consist. Or that word consist means held together. Now, I don't know if you remember, you know, hearing that term of atomic glue. You know, you know, the thing that actually holds the atoms. Because they're wondering, like, how can you have these protons and these neutrons and these electrons and these opposite repelling, you know, forces so tightly compressed and so held together? And the energy that's comprised in those things, as you know, when you release atomic energy, it's enormous. Like, they, well, maybe there's this atomic glue or there's this other substance that, that keeps these things together. Well... The Bible actually says in verse 17 that by him all things consist, which literally means held together. Held together. Jesus holds the atoms. He holds the galaxies together. And then I have to ask you, who is holding your world together? Who's holding your world together? I mean, we always hear, pull yourself out of it, man. Get a grip, man. Pull yourself together. You know, get yourself together. Are things just flying off the handle? Does your world feel like it's falling apart? Do you feel like you're about to spontaneously combust at any given moment? You have no clue what's going on? Do you feel like you're not going to be able to get your life together? And we all feel like that at times. See, we were created by Jesus and for Jesus, and we exist because we were designed and created for a purpose. A purpose. We're not the fortuitous occurrences of accidental circumstances over billions of years. We're not from the goo to the zoo to you and then, hey, let's have good self-esteem. Like, this is not the way that it's meant to be. We were created for a purpose. So let Jesus hold your life together. He holds the world together. Let the Lord who holds all things together take control of your life and hold your life together. In Romans 8.28, It says, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. So see yourself as God's child and as God would take care of His child, God is taking care of you because even Jesus said, you fathers being evil, which, you know, that's the way we're born in sin and Jesus recognized that and sees that you people that are imperfect and that are sinful know how to give good gifts to your children. Your heavenly Father knows how to give good things to you. And it says that all things will work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. You might not see it now, but it will happen. God will take that which was meant for evil and He will turn it into something that was good. He'll take that which was not only meant for evil, but was so painful and so difficult and to turn it into something that will work out for your good. God has a purpose. A purpose. And the blind man we've been reading about couldn't see what good was going to come from his blindness. He couldn't see what good was going to come from Jesus spitting on the ground, making clay with the saliva and the dirt, anointing his eyes and telling him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. This was unprecedented, this work that Jesus was doing in him. And so often, I feel like for us as Christians, we want to do something that's already been done. 
We want to do something that's already been done because we think, well, if they can do it, then maybe I can do it. But what if God tells you or is calling you to do something that hasn't been done yet? What if God's calling you to do something that is unprecedented? No one's done that before. No one's done it even close to anything like that before, but God's calling you to do it. Lord, I don't know about this. You know, this is really crazy. No one's ever done this before. I would just love to say to you right now, good, good. Want to be copycatters of other people? Or do we want to do something that God's calling us to uniquely do? Don't be afraid of that because God has a purpose. You may not see it. You may not get it. And maybe the Lord's stirring your heart and you think, well, I don't know if I can do that. And you'll look around. Who else is doing this? You're like, oh, no one else is doing this. Well, maybe I shouldn't be doing it. No. What do you, I mean, who goes into the remote villages? Who builds things out of nothing? Who starts things when there was just everything against it? I mean, who does that kind of thing? You and me. We do. But take it one step further It's the Lord, the creator, who spoke the galaxies into existence. He is the creator. So what is is holding us back from thinking, how come God couldn't create something new here on this earth for us to be involved with? How we could minister to people or reach people or do something that's amazing? We need to be careful of that. Because so often we do get blinded to God's purpose by difficulty, by opposition, by our own emotions, our own head. The Lord's holding it all together and He's going to hold your life together, but you've got to trust Him enough to obey Him. And if you're obeying Him, then you will be living a life that is pure. So we see this morning, see yourself as God's child. Know that God has a purpose. And then thirdly and finally, rejoice. Rejoice. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, it says, Rejoice always. If you have a hard time memorizing verses, this is just two words. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Oh man, I try to learn scriptures all the time. I just can't think that way. Rejoice always. First memory verse, man. Well done. Yes, I knew you could do it. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, There is so much that we can rejoice in. But we're so sidetracked on a daily basis with the cares of the world or the uncertainty of what's going to happen. When we think about it, we'll list off all of these things. And and honestly, we probably could at least list off 10 things, maybe 20 things, 30 things off the top of our head that we could rejoice over. But have you ever noticed that when we start to do something like that, there's always the, but what about this? Or I have all these things to rejoice over, but what about that? Oh, this is God is so good. He's so, yeah, but what about this over here in this remote location of your mind? You know, it's like all of this stuff happens all the time. And we laugh about it because it's absolutely true for you guys. <laughs> Just kidding. It's absolutely true for me as well. But in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, actually just verse 3 uh, right now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Made alive spiritually, we're begotten, we're born again. Some people think it's Christians that made up that term born again. No, Jesus said it in John 3, you must be born again. You must be made alive spiritually. Peter will go on to say in verse 4 of 1 Peter 1, you are begotten or born again, made alive spiritually through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, 
and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We have an inheritance of God's blessings awaiting our arrival to heaven. We rejoice that we're going to get to heaven and when we go to receive our heavenly crown and our rewards from doing things that are pleasing and honoring to God, that we're not going to hear Peter say, hey, we had a break-in last night. (laughs) All of your stuff, gone, sorry. Our rewards in heaven don't fade away. They're not going to rust out. They're not going to be stolen. It says you who are kept. In the Greek, it's a word called phureo. And it means basically as if a military guard was going to escort you from point A to point B. It says you are kept or safely guarded and escorted from departure to arrival by the power of God. But I don't see it. Man. We walk by faith and not by sight. And we're looking at this man who's born blind from birth who literally can't see is having a tangible experience with, Lord, do I trust you, Jesus, enough to obey you what you're telling me to do? And in verse 6 of 1 Peter 1, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though no, though now for a little while, if need be, he says, you've been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We greatly rejoice. Listen to me very carefully because this is going to sound like I made a mistake. We greatly rejoice in the exiting of our strength and the entering of God's strength. For when we end, God begins. We don't like feeling weak. We don't like feeling incapacitated or helpless. It's one of the worst feelings you could ever experience in the world. No one likes feeling that way. But in in relation to what happens with God's strength, we will get to the end of our rope and we will get to the end of our resources and the end of our abilities and our talents and and whatever it might be. And you will find that it's at that point where God's power kicks in. And so less of me and more of Him. And may He increase and may I decrease. And may God's strength be made perfect in my weakness. For where we find ourselves in the place of testing is the place that the genuineness of our faith is being tested. Where we can't see what good will come out of it. Yet our faith is more valuable than what world economic systems have based their value upon. At least in the past or should. Gold. Whom having not seen you love. 1 Peter 1.8 Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I don't see it yet. I don't see, you know, me in a glorified body and free from sin and free from pain. I don't see myself in the presence of God and worshiping with the saints as they cast down their golden crowns around the glassy sea, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who is to come. I'm not there yet. I'm right here. 
And I'm dealing with people, and I'm dealing with problems, I'm dealing with this, and dealing with that. I don't see it. I don't get it. We don't see. But we believe, and we obey, and we live purely, and we see Jesus supernaturally working in our lives and through our lives. This is what it's about. This is what it's about. Because more often than not, you're not going to see it. We're not going to get it. We're not going to understand it. But that's where faith is. That's where faith is. This is the exiting of us and the entering of the power of God. This is where we want to be in complete, com- uh, in complete dependency upon the Lord. Now, we say that hypothetically. We say that idealistically. Because, yeah, I want to be in complete dependence upon God. But what that literally means is you're not in control. And you can't fix it. And it's beyond you. And then there it is again. I have all these things I can rejoice over, but what about this? I don't know what's going to happen here. What about this? I don't know how we're going to pay for that. What about this? I don't know if they're going to get well. What about this? You know, and so you'll go back and forth between these things that you have, you know, that you think you have control over and that you want control over, and then you'll have these things over here where you're like, I don't see it, I don't get it, but I have to know that I am God's child. That he loves me. That he's concerned with only the best things for me. And then I need to know upon that, that not only am I God's child, I know that he has a purpose when he tells me that I need to do this or he has a purpose when I'm going through certain things. You know, there's sometimes that probably our children think, man, what is mom and dad thinking? What are they asking me to do this for? And hopefully, hopefully, you know, in our limited understanding and limited knowledge, we'd say, well, this is for the right purpose and this is for a thing that's going to help you. Why do I have to learn how to read a book for? I don't want to read. You're ruining my fun. Well, you're going to be very thankful when you can read later on in life, you know, and that kind of thing. I have a purpose for this. I have a purpose for that. As God's child, we need to know that God has a purpose. And then thirdly, and as I mentioned finally, rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. And if you find yourself listing the rejoice, things you can rejoice over, and then all of a sudden there's these things way out there, like what about this, and what about that, and what about this, and there, and then, realize what's happening there. Am I going to focus on the God who provides, and the one that takes care of my needs, and the things I have to rejoice in, or am I going to worry about things that are completely outside of my control? Lord, I don't see it, but I trust in you. And this is where it gets really exciting as we conclude here in John 9. Let's begin in verse 1 because I feel like this will connect everything. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, which just means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, Jesus spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And from what we've read in verse 7, and just again, trust, he said, go, washed in the pool of Siloam. John inserts there parenthetically, which is translated sent. So he went, he washed, and he came back seen. Trust led to his obedience. 
He went. And then what did that obedience lead to? He washed. It's purification. Purification led to this man what? What does it say at the end of What's the last word in that verse, in, in John 9, verse 7? Seen. He came back seen Jesus. And isn't that what we want in our lives? To see Jesus. I want to have that type of relationship with the Lord where I see Jesus. I'm interacting with the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit and His Word comes alive to me. And I want to see Jesus in my life like the way that I'm communicating, the way that I'm living, the way that I'm treating other people. The way that I'm thinking, I want it to have Jesus all over it. I want that. I want to see Jesus. And furthermore, by living lives of faith and obedience, we'll be living lives of purity. And the result is even as Jesus said, and this is where we end this morning. Matthew 5, 8 says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So if we're trusting the Lord, we're obeying the Lord. And if I'm obeying the Lord, then I'm being pure in heart. And if I'm being pure in heart, then what did Jesus say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that's what we want. That's what we want. I want to see Jesus. And furthermore, I want people to see Jesus in me. As a Christian man or a woman, we should be in that place where I not only want to see Jesus, I trust Him, I'm obeying Him, I'm pure before Him, I'm seeing Him, but I want people to see Jesus in me. I want there to be a difference in me. I don't want to just be the guy that does the routine and goes to church and lives like the world. And I'll come back to Sunday and be like, okay, i got to go to church, you know, punch my ticket, and then live again. The way that the world lives. I want to see Jesus and I want people to see Jesus in me. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that, my friends, concludes our four-part series entitled Tops, taken from John chapter 9. 